Right, three, two, one, go. Howdy, and welcome to another episode of the Mother Darling Podcast. Hello. Here is my, uh, well, here is, I guess, what, we're both co-hosts? Yeah, I don't know how that works. Is there a host and then a co-host, or is it just both are co-hosts at the same time? Both are co-hosts. I'm okay. your co-host, Amini, and here is my co-host, Nathan. <laughs> Our co-host, Nathan. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hello. I know it's been, what, two weeks? We'll, we'll do better about doing this weekly, but... Yeah, you know, there were extenuating circumstances. There have been extenuating circumstances. Life happens. Yes. And what's important is that we're here now talking. So exactly. welcome to all our listeners. It's so great to have you. Thank you for tuning in. Definitely subscribe leave a comment, write a review, do all of that good stuff. But, yeah. Welcome. And I know we kind of touched on the subject last time, but I would like to kind of dive in deeper. Nathan is engaged. Yeah, I am. If it's felt like such a long road, I feel like that since the day I met him, I've been engaged. It's just been a romantic Taylor Swift love story since the moment we laid eyes on each other. Yeah. <laughs> you just said yes. Yeah. 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 Well, actually, it's been a couple months now, I think. Yeah. Right. Of engagement. It's going to be even longer because he's going off to school. And we're going to probably wait till he's done and finished graduating and then probably get married eventually. But I feel like, you know, the ring is symbolic. It means we're, we're committed to each other hundred percent. Totally. That's beautiful. How, who proposed to who? Well, so I didn't really know how to go about it because in a way it's sort of untraditional because Usually with like a guy and a girl, obviously you have your roles and the guy will propose to the girl and the guy doesn't necessarily get an engagement ring back. Like the guy just gives the girl a ring. That's the promise that they're going to get married. And then when they get married, they give each other rings. So Nick and I discussed in the past kind of what we wanted to do, but I guess my view on it was that we would both get each other rings at some point. And then the moment where we both have our rings, that'd be like, okay, we're hundred percent like in it to win it. That's when we're officially like engaged to each other at least. So, you know, it was, I don't even know when it was. When did our Nick, yeah, Nick proposed on our anniversary, which was January 25th of this year. Um, and then I think I did Valentine's Day. So like he, he took me out for a walk, like before it was happening, like I knew it was going to happen just because I know him like the back of my hand and like, you can't surprise me because he's so obvious all the time. But um, we just went out for a walk like we would normally do. And it was super snowy and wet. And it was like, I was like, are you sure you want to go for a walk right now? Like I was just giving him shit because I knew he wanted to do it. But um, I was kind of just like, being a little standoffish and like I guess a little playful because I knew it was giving giving him anxiety but and I just like to mess with him yeah I was trying to be a little playful because I knew it was like a big moment for him and he was really like nervous so we went over to the elementary school that he went to 
uh, we always like go over there on the playground and stuff and um, like swing on the swings and stuff at night. So we went over there during the day. And then when we were on like the field behind his elementary school, he did the gentlemanly thing and kneeled down in the wet snow and grabbed my hand and looked me in the eye and asked me if I would marry him. And I said, absolutely. And I was so happy. And we gave a little smooch. And to my surprise, he had invited one of his friends to like hide on the playground and like take photos of us while this was happening. So she got some candid pics and then he popped it up on Facebook afterwards and the rest was history. So, oh my God. Yeah. And the ring, is it just like a traditional band? Do we have diamonds? What are we doing? No, she's just, you know, I'm a very like plain Jane sort of gal. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not too far one way or too far the other. I'm very in the middle. So he just got a nice plain little band for me and I'm happy about it. I love that you knew that he was going to do it. I think that's like important. Yeah, like, I mean, we we had we had felt that we were prepared to do that for quite some time. Just, I would say probably since honestly since probably around the time that you and I met. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where like Nick and I felt probably the most committed to one another and we were like okay this is probably going to end up being something like marriage so we should probably start thinking about that like what are we going to do what's the long-term plan here I think that's an important aspect of a relationship you know living day-to-day is one thing and getting along is another and then a completely other thing on top of that is planning out your life for the next few years and what that looks like and how you start orienting yourself and and each other's goals down the same path toward what you you know you both want and that was something that was like a little bit difficult because my long-term plan is a little less developed than maybe his is because he has some pretty obvious goals out in front of him right now, just in terms of like graduating school and getting a job and all of that. And where mine are a little bit more work in progress because I don't really have hardline goals like that. Like obviously I have a career and I can, you know, set goals there but outside of work it's been a little bit of a difficult thing to do to set like personal development goals and that's something I guess I've struggled with a little bit but Nick's always been there to help me through that and I just knew that if I was sure about one thing he would be in my future so marriage and engagement seemed like something that was inevitable right yeah I love that I love that I mean I think it's good to know when it's coming only because it shows that you're on the same wavelength. Like I think I've talked to you about this before, but I don't want to be in a couple where we're merely on the same page. I think that's like, that's like 50, 50 when you're on the same wavelength, which is like different. I think it's like you 95%, you're like 90, it's like 95% a sure thing. And then like the other 5% is just like, conflict and like conflict resolution type of thing Mm -hmm. because I don't know I talk about this with my sister a lot she's not engaged she's nowhere close to being married but I know that with like when I was staying with you and Nick and we were having a whole happy family moment Mm -hmm. um I could just tell and see that there was like y'all have like you were on the same wavelength like you already know without even speaking what the other one is thinking yeah I think that's like really important in a relationship. 
Yeah, like, you know, he he can be a little bit of a conundrum sometimes, but I feel like just because we spent so much so much time around one another and learning about each other and getting to know one another, um, it's made that a little bit easier, like trying to understand what's what's behind the person, just because he is a little bit more of a quiet person than I am. Like if I have a problem, I'm very vocal about it. But if he has a problem, it's like my kind of responsibility to make sure that it gets handled because he will deal with it on the inside until he cracks and I need to be like okay I realize something's wrong let's talk about it so I think that conflict management is a lot of effort on my part but obviously his also just because he's the type of person who doesn't really like to open up very much so doing being able to do that is a big step for him and he's come a long way and and has made uh, a lot of progress on that front so ever, you know, ever since the beginning of a relationship, all of that had just gotten better and better and better and better. So now it's pretty much, you know, whenever there is something to be resolved, it pretty much gets resolved. Yeah. That's good. I mean, yeah. I think couples need to learn and know how to like deal with conflict. And I know it sounds crazy, but I think couples need to learn how to fight. Like you have to learn how to like, and I guess conflict is just fighting. Yeah. <laughs> like a nice elevated word for it. But like, I think every couple has to learn how to deal with conflict and how to fight and like deal with like some semblance of a resolution. Well, absolutely. Um, because like at the end of the day, you're two different people and yeah. you have two completely different lives and you have different priorities, different interests, and you're trying to create one life out of those two people Totally. And the things that make them two different people. So right. yeah, you know, at the end of the day, it is a lot of work to manage a relationship. And a lot of people aren't really, you know, ready for that or prepared for that. But I think, you know, we're, we're responsible people. And we, we realize that it, it takes a lot of effort and energy to maintain a long-term relationship. Um, but at the same time, like he's a very easy person to deal with. Like he's pretty laid back. So oh um, much, much of the energy of dealing with stuff just com comes from his part because I'm the crazy one. So you'll have to ask him how he does it, but I, I honestly don't know how he does. <laughs> I just, I don't know. It's a perfect couple. Both of you make me laugh so much. I don't think I've ever laughed so hard last summer. Oh my God, it was two summers ago. Yeah, I, I don't think that. I've ever laughed so much in my life. <laughs> I've laughed so much every day. Um, oh, well, I love that. And I'm excited to, you know, attend a gay wedding. Of oh, course. I don't think I've ever been to one. I don't think I've ever been, this is my first one. Yeah, but, I haven't been to one either. Yeah. Can't say I've ever been close to being married. I have, what's funny is that like, every every boy, every ex of mine has, bar one, um, I would say like 75% of all my exes have like approached to the subject. Mm. And then like, marriage, how do you feel about it? Thoughts? <laughs> feelings what do you think and every time I've been like I'm not I'm not ready to get married I'm <laughs> not ready I'm not ready but I don't know I've never been proposed to and I've never proposed I just don't know um who and like because I guess gay marriage is so recent and so new it's like 
who proposes to who like dude it's so complicated because there's no there's no like public or precedent for it like there's no No. there's no tradition because it's kind of untraditional in a sense and you kind of got to create something new for yourself and I took a lot of time to just think about how I kind of wanted to go down just based on what you know I believe in and what what's important to me and it's it, it worked out fine. You know, I, I think the whole engagement process wasn't as significant as the whole, you know, relationship leading up to that point, because right. that was just the, the, you know, the icing on top of the cake. Everything else that we built together is the best part because that's where all of our memories are at. That's where, you know, all the hard work has, has been. And, you know, just putting a ring on it, just, you know, solidifies that there's more of that to come and that we're committed to continuing to build on top of that. So it's really just like a link in the chain. Yeah. Stepping stone. Yeah. It's, 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 it's significant, but it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's a small piece of a, of a really big puzzle that we're putting together. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So at the end of the day, I guess the lesson is, however you go about it, don't don't think too much about it specifically. And <laughs> just because like you're gay and it's going to be a little bit different, don't put your don't put so much pressure on yourself to make it perfect in like these lifetime movies or whatever. Because you know, at the end of the day, it's just it's it's a it's a small piece of the rest of your life, and it is important. But there will be many more important moments to live. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, uh, I heard someone told me a story the other day about how they were proposed to again a gay relationship, and um, I was like weirded out only because the person that told me they were proposed to was like just not the type that I would have thought that would be proposed to. I thought they would be the type of person that would be proposing. Oh, okay. And why is that? Because this person a little is a little more mask femme. Are you are you judging them based on based on heterostereotypes? Is the top top propose? Like, <laughs> like the bottom propose? Like who doesn't in gay relationships? Like I I just I I don't know. I was just like, I don't know, it's weird. It was like the the person that told me I was like your personality seems as such that you wouldn't be proposed to you would be proposing Mm -hmm. and I don't know why that thought even encountered my brain because we're living in such a different world now even like women propose to men I mean yes less often still but um I mean it happens you know and I just I don't know I couldn't see him (laughs) Isn't that really mean to say to <laughs> like I don't really see you getting proposed to. I kind of see you more as like proposing. And yes, he's masculine. Yes, he's a top. Like it doesn't matter. That wasn't maybe that's what I had associated it with. You know, I think that's that's you know, it's not a bad thing because you're you're basing it off of the traditional sense in terms of like a man and a woman and I think there's some like some symbolic significance in that relationship but again like because you're gay it's a little bit different like you kind of have to make it make a new tradition out of something that's a new situation oh my gosh 
I totally see myself being proposed to though. Is that weird? Uh, no, I think that's fine. You just, you should let the person that you're with know that that's what you envision. Yeah. Yeah. I also think that that's, yeah, weird. Just because exes in the past that have brought up potential stepping stone of marriage of like, I think it's just putting the feelers out. I guess what you would do in the South is you'd have a promise ring, right? Mm. And then you'd upgrade it to an engagement ring, <laughs> then a wedding ring. Um, but yeah, I think that you both, knowing you both personally, are very mature and very ready for this. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. I just, I see it. You I know, when it. the time is right, the time is right. The time is right, the time is right. And two people are just like right for each other and see eye to eye on everything, like almost everything, you know? And I see both of you bringing out the best in each other. And I think that's like, a really, really important thing heading into a marriage is finding someone that brings out the highest, you know, the highest form and highest like evolved state of a person. And I think we've been talking about this, but like, I guess we're kind of pivoting like Jordan Peterson. I know like you and I have had conversations and you recommended his book, 12 rules for life. And I think I'm on like rule five and, um, it's all about like delayed gratification mm -hmm. and how that's such a, he even says it himself, he's like such a dumb word for something that is really like the height of significance in like humanity is like delayed gratification and like the avoidance of instant stuff. Like, yeah. Do what is meaningful, not what is expedient. Yes, you clicked that rule. You got that rule. You know the rule. That I like that rule. That that rule is is important. Exactly, and I see both of you adding a lot of meaning to one another's lives. But yeah, this book is changing my life. I um, I just do what is meaningful. Don't do what is expedient. Is what I'm up to. The previous chapter was um. Don't criticize others before your house is clean or something. Wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, essentially, yeah. yeah. Get your get your life in order before you criticize the world, basically. Absolutely. I mean, Gandhi says it quite beautifully: like, be the change you want to see in the world. Like, rather than kind of mm -hmm. hoping that others elsewhere will change so that the world changes. Like, how about changing yourself so that the world changes, you know? Like, yeah, what, what's great about the book is that you're right. It, it ties in so many different common sense truths that are that we've known for a long time. Like you're saying, Gandhi was saying it, it comes from Buddha, it comes from Jesus, it comes from all these different philosophies on how to live your life that we spent thousands and thousands of years figuring out how the best way to, to live our lives are. and and 
that that book basically outlines brass tacks. It's, it's like, here's what we've forgotten over the last hundred or so years. Totally. Let's remind ourselves because this is this is as knowledge we, that we shouldn't forget. Totally. As we've all become spoiled brats and as we've all like totally taking the meaning out of life. And I think it's why so many people walk around feeling like they have a lack of purpose in life is because we're caught, like even like marketing techniques are fed to us to like kind of uh, kind of like even marketing things is like done in such a way that it's immediate. It's not delayed. It's not mm. something that it's not, it's not about the journey so much as it is the destination and people just want to land at the destination. They don't care too much for the journey. I like to, I like to equivocate it with sugar. Uh, sugar is in everything we eat and consume and it, it gets you high for like five seconds really, really quick. And then you crash afterwards and you feel terrible. So it's like on a, on a nutritional level, that's how you're living your life metaphorically elsewhere. Like you're trying to get somewhere that takes a long time to get there. And, and you feel, you feel like you almost deserve it in a sense to be there immediately. And right. then when, and then it, once you get there, you're sort of robbed of the, of the trajectory, the pathway of the, of the process of getting there that, you know, once you, once you have it, you, you don't really value it as much. It, it's I kind agree. of, it's kind of crazy. I forgot who there was like this, um, who was the guy that had, had that bombing oh the unabomber <laughs> yeah it's it's such a weird reference it's such a weird like out of the place reference but i was reading about this guy and he was i feel like in a way he was right and this kind of like gets to where what we're talking about and like in our modern world we are we get everything we want so easily yeah versus you know a couple hundred years ago where people really had to like work their asses off just to put food on the table and they lived in like terrible, terrible conditions, like in terms of high hygiene and sanitization and like all that sort of stuff. And nowadays we don't really have to work very hard to get, to get the basic necessities of life out of way, out of the way. And even, even more so to get things that we want, we don't really have to work that hard. So it kind of takes a little bit of meaning out of life because what Jordan Peterson is saying is like a lot of the the meaning that you derive in life comes from the process of pursuing a goal not so much the satisfaction of receiving the goal 100 percent 100 percent I mean listen you wasn't it like trained to go to freaking Olympics you know yeah. like I have a steely determination to do something I will do it I'll find a way I'll bide my time I'll wait it won't be this time around, but it'll be the next time around. Like, I find that also incredibly attractive in like another human though. Mm -hmm. like if I can meet a person who looks after themselves, you know, not just, but looking after themselves in the sense that they understand this delayed gratification. It goes hand in hand with everything. Like not just diet and nutrition, but also like vices, right? Like abstaining from alcohol, abstaining from cigarettes, abstaining from pot smoking, abstaining from sugar, you know, things that, or pizza, or just like anything that's like, kind of just like low hanging fruit that's really like fulfilling, but also empty. It's mm -hmm. like, 
Yeah. And I, I see that a lot. I see that a lot in our generation of just people that have forgotten what it means to work hard for something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a, a part of the problem, and, and this is something that I struggle with too, is understanding where to sort of set your sights, like how to set a goal, where, what do I choose? You know, there's, there's a plethora of, of goals to set your sights on. And how do you select one out of that great multitude? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And right. I think a lot of people struggle with that because we are a generation of uh, FOMO, like fear of missing out. We don't want to, we don't want to miss out on one thing by choosing another. So we don't do anything in the first place, which is totally unproductive. <laughs> totally. Cause then you go have all these like half-assed, half-achieved goals, right? And then everyone's expecting a trophy out of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody's expecting um, something great to happen when not really doing much of anything. And yeah. yeah, I don't know, like even I look at artwork, I look at some of my favorite movies they have all taken so long to make and have been tedious, but like, there was a director that was like, I have a vision that's going to make and create something amazing. Like, so I love Stanley Kubrick so much. I love The Shining. I love, um, what of his other was like Eyes Wide Shut, which was like literally a year of filming before he completed. Like, it's a long time to be making a piece of artwork, especially mm-hmm. in film, where the turnover at this point is like 10 to 12 weeks. You got to have your movie done and made. Mm-hmm. Like, taking the time and looking at attention to detail. Like, I think that's something that's turning into like a slow, like a slowly lost art form and being subtle, you know, not so overly in the face. I mean, look, I love short attention span stuff just as much as the next person. I can lose so much time on TikTok, but this like, there's just so much more to life than Mm -hmm fleeting fleeting dopamine rushes that don't pan out to much of anything and i yeah i think that goes the same with relationships and love too like you and nick have embarked on a journey that has enriched and deepened both of your lives for like a number of years mm-hmm. and i think it's great to see two people that understand delay gratification and, and what it really means to work hard for something because, you know, there was a time when, you know, Nick was moving to California to be with Nathan. And then now it's kind of, Nick's got to go to school. So Nathan's going to like bend for him a little bit as well. Yeah. I mean, it happens that we're in a pandemic and you can be able to do such a thing, but I think he talks so much about sacrifice. And I think that's so important. Um, sacrificing in a way that doesn't build towards resentment. Mm-hmm. I think that's like, when he said those words, I'm like, wow, that's really powerful. Mm-hmm. Only because I've seen in so many other relationships, um, you know, some young and some old, like unbelievable and unbearable amounts of resentment that have built up over years of people sacrificing parts of themselves that, they weren't quite ready to, or maybe not necessarily wanting to. And yeah, Jordan, Jordan Peterson is teaching me a lot about how to avoid getting myself into those situations in the first place. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I learned a lot 
through both of those books. I'm I'm almost like three fourths of the way through the second one, but it it totally helps you view your life in a totally new light and a hundred percent set yourself a little bit more straight and narrow than you were in the uh, past. Yeah, because like I'm willing to admit. I mean, he talks about femininity being chaos and masculinity being order. Mm-hmm. And I have to be honest, I have a chaotic life. <laughs> Personality is very feminine. And I can't say that it's like, you know, a coincidence, <laughs> but I've learned to lean into having a more orderly life. And I love that. Like, I love that it's natural for me to come home and put my things away and like, you know, it's it's nice to have a clean home to come home to. It's nice to like um, cook a meal and then be like, you know what? I really want to just like sit on the couch, veg out and eat. But I'm like, no, 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 bitch, do the fucking dishes because you don't want to have to come back to this in like 10 minutes time and be like upset, mad and angry. Yeah. Because, you know, just like your, your food's piping hot. It's going to cool down. Like have an order to your life don't don't like put off things just so that you can have a moment of peace life is like constant work and like I'm, that's I'm just, a that's a biblical that's a biblical truth god says you'd work your ass off for six days and you get to rest one absolutely you know and you know i'm from a biblical family yeah. So well, I mean, they're just in all religious texts, there there are some, you know, vestiges of importance written down in those books. So, you know, that's where all of the it, wisdom comes from. Totally. I mean, I see it all as like a different, it's the same cake, but different icing in some ways. Like how they're choosing to interpret certain things is quite different, but the notion of delay gratification is open to a like, and that's what I love about his book is that it actually encompasses a wide variety of religious texts. He brings up Buddha, he brings up uh, Judaism, he brings up, you know, obviously Christianity a lot because that's kind of his background, but incorporating all of these like urban myths and legends, not myths and legends, but like all of these stories. Yeah, he, I, that's one thing that's really unique about him. He, mm-hmm. he Narratives. Yeah, yeah. He, he talks a lot about different stories, whether it's some of the Disney stories or stories okay. that were written in Mesopotamia a thousand years ago. Like there, there are commonalities across all of them that we don't even recognize and he kind of pulls it out and points it out to us. And it's like, wow, there is some like deeper importance in this that I didn't even know about. But now that I know about it, I, I understand why I, I value them. Yeah. He's not a fundamentalist or like, I don't know. It's way, the way he's been illustrated in media has been quite unfortunate because I think that um, his ideas are like more mystic than they are like fundamental or indoctrination. Like I see Jordan Peterson as being more like Christian mysticism rather than Christian indoctrination. And the difference is this subject to interpretation and they're forever being debated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that. I love that like idea of like 
appropriating so many different life lessons from so many different texts because it feels well-rounded and it doesn't feel, you know, I do listen to it sometimes. And I'm like, oh God, I, I could just imagine what <laughs> certain people would have to think about the story. You know, he talks a lot about Genesis. He talks a lot about Adam and Eve. He talks a lot. And I'm like, okay, I get like a lot of people would roll their eyes at that, but the way he breaks it down as a, as a use of symbols, as mm -hmm. opposed to like, this is history and this is what really happened. And like, there's evidence behind, like, it's not, that's not the point of like what he's reiterating. It's like, he's breaking it down. And, and I think it was like the second chapter where he talks about how humans are really good at looking after their pets, but not very good at looking after themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's like, he likens it to the fall of man. And we've experienced some of the worst atrocities we've experienced some of the worst emotions we've experienced and we inflict pain upon each other so much so that we subconsciously feel like we're not worthy of being looked after mm -hmm. so what's the second rule i think it's like look after yourself as if you were someone you're responsible for yeah and that was an eye-opening chapter for me i was like oh my god that's so me i'm so a person that like will not I'll go above and beyond for other people and for my friends. But when it comes to myself, I'll be like, eh, I don't really need it. I don't really. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that sort of ties into the other rule that you were talking about, which was, you know, set yourself and your life in order first before criticizing the world. And it, it's not so much a criticism that you're talking about as much as it is giving advice to somebody that you don't take. <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally. Which people do all the time. Yeah. But yeah. I know. I'm. I think like 30 and 31 have been like really eye-opening years in my life. And well, you don't look a day over 24. Oh my God. Thank you. It is so funny. My facialist said that I had my first facial the other day and she was Asian and she was like, how old are you? I was like, uh, 31. She's like, okay, you don't look a day over 25. <laughs> like, thank you. But I also don't know if she was lying, but now that you've said it, I know it's the truth. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I feel like, oh my God. And you know, I've, I've been a year single and that's unusual for me. I usually always have someone, but I think the biggest and most growth that we go through is always on our own. I don't, Mm. I don't know. For me, anyway, everyone's different. I think some people can like be in a coupling and and grow, but I think for me, like being alone expedited the process so quickly because I didn't have a distraction of someone else. Um, yeah, dude, I've I've been there. The times yeah. where I've been at most alone has been like the time I look back on now. Like, damn, I really went through like a lot, and I learned a lot about myself and grew the most in that period of time. Oh my God. Like I never would have thought that I could have like moved to the city and like paid bills and have rent and like do this. Like this was always just something that I was like, no, 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 no. I couldn't, but I was like, why not? Why not me? Why can't it be me? Everyone does it. Everyone moves to the city and makes a life for themselves and like becomes successful. Like it's not that difficult. I don't know why I didn't think that I could do it. I think I, maybe it goes back to the thing of not feeling worthy of that, but I'm happy. I'm happy for the first time in a really long time. And I know it's because 
I'm taking more responsibility and control of my life than I ever have before. And uh, what was another Jordan Peterson rule? Don't compare yourself to others. Compare yourself to where you were yesterday. (laughs) So I can get very down and out when I compare myself to like other people that I went to school with and where they're up to. Like one of my best friends is a crown prosecutor and like kicking butt, putting criminals in jail in New Zealand. Um, and I'm like, wow, that's amazing. She has a great life. But then I'm also like, that wasn't my path and that was never going to be my path. So mm-hmm. I shouldn't compare myself to a person. I compare myself to where I was yesterday. And is there progress from yesterday? Well, yes, there is. And that's worth celebrating. So yeah. it's so easy to compare yourself to other people. Oh, comparison is the thief of joy. It is like, we're all entitled to move at things in our own pace. And, you know, some people become millionaires in their twenties and squander it. You know, some people have more economic opportunities. I can, I can say with full certainty that like, if I looked at like my, you know, my earnings up until this point in my life, it wouldn't be high, but I'd be happy to know that, I don't have less, I guess. Mm. Yeah. There I think that's that... part of the the problem though, a little bit with our generation and maybe even the generations on either side of us is that a lot of the value that we have in our lives comes from the things that we acquire and the material world and like, and money and, and objects and all of that. But something that I've, I've been reading the Bible a little bit lately. And one of the things that Jesus talks about is uh, not worrying so much about storing up your treasures on earth, uh, but instead worrying about, you know, storing up your treasures in heaven, which is basically just a metaphor for building a, a strong spirit and and being a good person having strong character and and being moral and acting ethically and those things don't necessarily require you to have a whole lot of money because at the end of the day like when we all pass away like all all of our belongings in the material world will not mean will mean absolutely nothing but for those of us you know who believe in afterlife and and, and what you bring to bear on earth, having consequences in, in, in the afterlife, you know, like there, there are consequences to your actions that go beyond just this world. And even for people who don't really believe, I, I think it also plays into their situation as well, because, you know, what you leave behind materially doesn't have so much of an impact, in my opinion, as the type of person you were and the types of relationships you build and, and how you impacted other people on a psychological and emotional level. Yeah, I believe that. I mean, I had a lot of, you know, I had grandparents that, you know, died very poor, you know, like not with a lot to show to their name, but I know that they were incredibly influential. Um, not because of what they had, but because of how they made people feel. And I think there's truth in that. It's not so much, you know, people won't remember what you wore, what you said, what you did, but people will always remember how you made them feel. 
that's kind of everlasting. I think that will outlive um, anything material in this world, period, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm not a very materialistic person. I never have been, but too much, too much to the other end of like, cause there was no value in it. I didn't appreciate it. Therefore when it came, it went. Um, but now I'm learning to like, you know, money's not a big devil thing. It's something that you can use and use to have conveniences and nice things that you want. But yeah, I like nice things, but I'm not defined by them. Mm-hmm. Never- I think that's part of the problem though. Like I was saying, like it's so easy to compare yourself to other people, particularly on that like material level. And I think that's part of the reason why you and I sort of get along is because we're on that same sort of wavelength of like, maybe not all the time we feel like we're comparing ourselves to other people uh, in terms of like material things, but we definitely see that and we feel that at times, mm-hmm. and, but we realize the importance of not, you know, falling into that trap because trap. like, yeah, I mean, like at the end of the day, like we all sort of get tied up into it because it's sort of a part of our, our culture to, to, you know, value, you know, material objects and money and all of that. And, and you sort of like learn how to compare yourself to people in terms of that. And right. I think you, you and I both see that and see that as a negative. And even though, you know, we fall into that trap every once in a while, it's, it's always something that we can sort of pull ourselves back from and like come back to square one. And honestly, I think a, a, a part of that is just because of, you know, how we were raised and in, in growing up with, you know, totally. and that sort of stuff. Oh my God. Like my elementary school was really fucking rich, like affluent as hell. Everybody had money, but it was all in higher purchase agreement. So like all the cars were on loan (laughs) and they weren't paying enough interest on their houses to ever be paying back the principal. So a lot of them left after like the 2001 crash because they couldn't afford to live in the neighborhood and have the nice cars that they drove. Mm. And when I went to school, girl, my haircut, my dad would put a bowl on my hair <laughs> and cut around the hair. <laughs> Meanwhile, these kids were having like, you know, 60, 70, $80 haircuts. My dad picked up like scissors from the kitchen and would cut my hair. Like, <laughs> and, you know, I wore my sister's hand-me-down clothes, you know, so there'd be like school t-shirts that, you know, would be like one or two years out of fashion and I would wear them. I had jeans that were like way too small for me. They may as well have been capris. Like they were like three <laughs> pants. And I'm just getting a great vision right now. Of, I mean, of young Omni in, in elementary school. <laughs> Ugly duckling. I stuck out. But I think I never knew until I was maybe like five or six that we were the have nots when I Mm. went to school. And that was because my parents did such a good job in early development of making us appreciate what we did have so much so to the point that we didn't feel like anything was missing. Mm. And yeah, these other kids, I could see they were not from happy homes. And I look back at it in retrospect. I'm like, yeah, how could you be happy if, you know, everything that was a symbol of love had a price tag on it? Mm-hmm. And 
we just, we didn't grow up with ever feeling like anything was missing. We didn't grow up feeling like anything was missing. And I think that's good parenting. I think good parenting, you know, it should be focused on the love, the emotions, making your child feel heard. I mean, that whole chapter that JP has, I'm sorry to keep going back to Mr. <laughs> but the whole chapter he has on like how to raise your children and like your children are not your friends. And in fact, your children will appreciate you and they will love you when you discipline them and when you teach them right from wrong and you will build a better connection with them. Don't deny them good parenting, you know? Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, I think it is, a lot of it is to do with how we grew up. Now, when I turned seven years old and my dad had a bit more money and he went on his own law firm and he bought a Land Rover, which was old, um, <laughs> you know, of course, started, we started to have nicer things, but it was never anything defining. And I, I actually cringe. I know it sounds terrible, but like I saw a woman the other day at the airport because I was flying from... Uh, here to Boston and the woman in the airport was like she had the MCM bag she had the Gucci wallet she had all of the designer things and I know it made her feel good so I didn't want to knock that but I also remember thinking like just kind of cringing because it was like I wanted to just kind of shake her and be like bitch you're beautiful without the bags Mm -hmm. you need the bags and nice things and all of the like status symbols to feel like an important person you are an important person merely through how you carry yourself and how like I could see she had all the labels but had a lot of insecurity yeah and I would much rather be a tremendously secure person and have a lot of self-confidence and wear basic brand stuff then because i think that's memorable like people will always remember personalities again people remember how you made them feel they're not going to be re remembering what kind of shoes you wore what kind of jeans you wore what kind of top you wore no mm -hmm. one cares about that when you're at a party they're always gravitating towards the person that laughs the most and is cracking the most jokes and is like the most effervescent and bubbly so I don't know. Those things just send signals, but they're not rooted in any semblance of reality. So mm -hmm. I love I think they're rooted in, you know, the modern reality that, that a lot of people grow up very insecure and lacking self-confidence. Yeah. And that the, in order to fill those gaps, they kind of use those, use those material objects to symbol to or, or signify to other people that they, they have what they lack, you know? Right. So I think that's that's more of the root of the problem is a lot of kids grow up really insecure and 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 sad. It's so fleeting. Again, Nathan, I'm so happy that I had a goal that I worked towards that I fulfilled that gave me gratification that was like great. It wasn't going to the mall, hanging around with people, buying things, showing off to people that I bought things and deriving self-esteem that way like mm -hmm. there's always going to be something new that they're going to market there's always going to be something bigger faster better and i'm at peace with that i don't i don't have to have all of that i mean if that comes my way cool great 
I'll appreciate it. I'll love it. It'll be nice, but it's not. Yeah. I'm over here trying to get to my third Olympics and no amount of labels, no amount of, um, that's just pure hard work, baby. That's like what you got to put in to get into that kind of goal. Yeah. So that's why it's important to have goals. That's, that's what, that's the, that's the lesson of the day. That's why it's important to have goals. That's the lesson. And we don't know if you're a top or bottom, if you're a gay and wanting to get married, we don't know who proposes. It's endless. (laughs) Create your own tradition. Yeah. Who knows? We'll start our own tradition, but yeah, have goals. My goal now is once of hopefully make the Olympics. I actually have my swimming competition next week in Atlanta. Atlanta, Georgia. B, I've never been to Atlanta. Um, I've only been to the airport. Okay. That airport is actually the busiest airport in all the United States. It is large and in charge, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited. This is my first trip to Atlanta. It's really full circle for me because I, I, my first Olympics that I ever watched were the 1996 Atlanta Olympics. And this is the pool. The pool that I'm racing in is the Atlanta Olympic pool. Wow. So, yeah, I have to, in order for me to go to Tokyo, I have to have the fastest time in Tonga. And sis, I've been bumped to number two. <laughs> number two right now. So in order to, you know. When's the deadline for you to like pass the time? June, June 21st. Okay. Yeah. So I need to throw down a time that's going to be good enough to go. I want to get it one and done. I don't want to be traveling here, there, everywhere in order to get, like, get this done. Like, I really, I really have to nail it in this race, which mm-hmm. I think I can do. You know, pressure is a privilege. Billie Jean King says that. Mm-hmm. Pressure is privilege because if you're in a high-pressure situation, it means you're very good at what you do. So That's how diamonds are made, baby. Under pressure. <laughs> so... I'm excited to have all the hard work that I've been doing for the past, gosh, year uh, come into cute, like fruition and accumulate in one moment. And if I make it, I'll be so happy and so blessed and overjoyed. But if I don't, you know, this is like a really great way to end it at the pool that kind of started it all for me, mm-hmm. at least on a TV screen. It's poetic. Um, it's poetic. It's a little. Simple. That's how you know you're doing life right, though, because I I remember feeling like that. I I haven't felt that way in a in a long time. But you just feel like you're there's a bit of synchronicity. There's a bit of like mm-hmm. there's a bit of an ebb and a flow, and you kind of come back to things every once in a while that you've been at before, but it's been reincarnated in this new way, and you're like, wow, I'm things are lining up for me again, and I feel like this is this is meaningful to me totally it's uh what's the word synchronicity it's just listening to signals and then listening to them and having a moment of like i'm right where i'm supposed to be doing exactly what i'm supposed to do Mm -hmm. yeah i feel like that when i'm on the pool deck coaching kids Mm. like I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm so jealous. 
Well, listen, uh, I love it. It pays the bills. I can't wait until pools open in New York City so that I can do something with some semblance of regularity. But girl, you know my journey. It has not been an overnight process. It has taken years mm -hmm. for me to finally grow up, <laughs> pelt myself up by my bootstraps, and stop living like a heathen. You know, stop living that hedonistic lifestyle and start, um, start deriving fulfillment out of my life. And I'm glad that I took the time. I, I had the privilege of being able to take my time. I might've taken a bit too much time, but again, don't compare yourself to others. Compare yourself to where you were yesterday. And, mm -hmm. you know, on that note, <laughs> I don't know. Should we wrap? I think, uh, yeah, I think we gave it a good good amount of time today to talk over some things. I got a lot out of it. I I feel like I can leave the conversation at least for the next week and go on to, you know, make myself better. Yeah, same. And I hope that our listeners can have the same feeling too. Um, just quickly, I know we briefly talked about this before the podcast started, but there was a tragedy in Tonga, uh, a few days ago, one of our most beloved human rights activists, Boli Gefu, uh, passed away, unfortunately, under very, um, just like, not under nice circumstances. Mm -hmm. uh, so... I know we have a lot of listeners out in Polynesia. There are some in Tonga, some in Fiji, definitely a few in New Zealand. So it would feel really unnatural for me not to acknowledge it, especially given that he was a friend and a really prominent leader with progressing queer rights, not just in the kingdom of Tonga, but also throughout the Pacific. So Polly, I dedicate the swim that I do next week to you. And I send all of my condolences and my love to your family. Um, I know you're on the other side. Uh, just looking after us all. You're our angel. So, um, yeah. Good, good life. Good person. Gone too soon. But we celebrate your memory and you live forever in our hearts with all the activism and warmth and generosity that you show to people, not just in Tonga, but all throughout the Pacific. So you will be remembered as a good man. And uh, this is just an acknowledgement of a tragedy because, you know, I can't pretend as if it didn't happen. So. Nice of you maybe, to say that. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. Thanks. Uh, hopefully maybe we can discuss this on another podcast, but. Um, yeah, just had to mention that because it, it would just feel really wrong for me to pretend like none of that had happened. So peace and blessings to you all. Thank you peace for tuning in. Peace and love. Peace and love. Thank you for tuning in. Oh my gosh, we went a whole episode without talking about any pop princess divas. Well, we've always have next week, so. <laughs> yes, we're going to talk about Kim Petras. Yes, and the and the upcoming third part of the trilogy for Halloween. And I'm so excited. I'm so excited.
She yeah. always delivers. Yeah, we'll have to get together on Halloween and party or something. Oh my God. 100%. <laughs> I'll be done with swimming in the fall. So awesome. Whether it's in Michigan, whether it's here, wherever it is, we'll dress up, we'll listen to good music, and we'll party our tits off. Sounds good. All right. On that note, have a good night, everybody. Or have a good day, whichever time it is you're listening to this. Yes. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.